Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. It is bright and sunshiny outside. At least it is in my part of the world. Hopefully it is in yours as well. Good to have you here on a Wednesday. Quite the day. Quite the uh, the list of topics to talk about. A, an absolutely insane day yesterday for many reasons. And, you know, when you put together, the, when we put together this show, mostly Trevor sets up the guests and gets some of the tech stuff done. And I have, I have the responsibility of writing, a you know, the rundown of getting what topics we're going to talk about together and putting a list of, of news that I read off the top of the show or a report off the top of the show together. Today was difficult to figure out what the lead should be. What the what if you were putting together this this list of news, what would your lead be today? What would be the first story you'd want to talk about? Cuz I think I think it should be the US Women's National Team. They beat Nigeria one nothing yesterday. Abby Wambach with the goal. They win group D, they move on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and so forth. It feels like it should be the lead story. And we're going to have Jonathan Tanawald Live from Canada, very shortly to talk about that game. So that feels like it should be the, it's the World Cup for cripe's sake. Like it, should, it feels like it should be the biggest thing. And yet, because one, Mr. Clint Dempsey decided to go absolutely nuts last night during the U.S. Open Cup game, that's really the story I think everybody wants to talk about. That's really the thing that everybody wants to, to, to opine on and, and have a, a thought about and, go into and discuss. So I'm putting together a list. I'm like, well, I got to I gotta get this U.S. Women's National. I mean, they, they won their group in the World Cup six times that they've done that. They're moving to this group, the knockout rounds. They maybe don't look great, but they got the jo- Oh, but Clint Dempsey decided to rip up a referee's handbook, notebook. And now, uh, and now faces probably some sort of lengthy suspension. Unless... Mm, unless U.S. soccer decides to take it out. And I hope they don't. I really hope they don't. We'll come to that. I do have the news together. Jonathan Tannewald on this show, as I mentioned. Sam Kelly from down in Argentina. We may be in Chile. Have we checked? Do we know where Sam Kelly is? He's in South America somewhere. He's going to talk to us about the Copa America tournament. Uh, Argentina beating Uruguay last night, one nothing. I'll get that in the news, too. Arturo Vidal arrested for DUI. It's in the news, too. All right, here's the news. Let's do that. U.S. Women's National Team beats Nigeria 1-0, wins Group D. Abby Wambach with the goal from a set piece. Uh, obviously, not the strongest performance from the United States overall over the course of 90 minutes. Several high-profile changes in the lineup. Tobin Heath into the starting lineup. Alex Morgan up top. Jill Ellis with some interesting substitutions towards the end of the match. We'll talk about those as well. But the, again, the job is done. They've collected seven points. They move forward into the groups, into the knockout round with some confidence and an opportunity to try to go win a World Cup. That's the most you can ask for, I suppose, at this point. We have high, high expectations. They don't look like a World Cup winner right now, but things change and tournaments are wacky. U.S. Open Cup results from last night, in addition to the Sounders losing to the Timbers. And we'll, yeah, let me get to the, the details of that in a minute. Eight MLS teams won their U.S. Open Cup matches last night. That's uh, all of them. Uh, all of them that played. The Philadelphia Union beat the Rochester Rhinos on penalties. 
Uh, the New York Red Bulls took out the Silverbacks 3-0. Sporting Kansas City beats St. Louis FC 1-0. Chicago beats Louisville City FC 1-0 after extra time. FC Dallas crushes the uh, Oklahoma City Energy 4-1. Colorado Rapids do the same scoreline to the Colorado Springs Switchbacks 4-1. Uh, Rail Salt Lake came back after being a goal down to Sounders 2 and won that game. The San Jose Earthquakes needed penalties to get past Sacramento Republic. Uh, the Sounders, as I said, lost to the Timbers 3-1, to and that was the, uh, the crazy one last night. That was after extra time. It went 1-1 into the extra period. Uh, the Sounders proceeded after they lost OFME Martins to an injury and, and were unable to replace him due to having used all of their substitutions. They then lost. Uh, they then lost three players to red cards: Brad Evans, Ariza, and later Clint Dempsey. For again, frustrated over the Ariza red card, uh, what he thought was an accidental elbow, he then decided to tear up the referee's notebook uh, and absolutely go nuts. And I imagine that U.S. Soccer has some difficult decisions to make today. That technically and rightfully is called. Referee assault. And you, you can't, the, the referee is sacrosanct. You can't touch the referee. You can't accost the referee. You can't mess with the referee. You can't do that. You just can't. When you do that, you threaten everything that holds the game together. You, get, you can't do And you certainly can't do it if you're Clint Dempsey, captain of the national team, leader of the leader, uh, one of the leaders for the Seattle Sounders. You just can't do it. Siggy so Schmidt ripping the ref after that match as well, which, again, may be called for. But in light of what happened with Clint Dempsey, not the lead story here. Swiss Attorney General has uh, the Swiss Attorney General has revealed that there are 53 possible acts of money laundering rela- uh, re- reported by banks in that country related to the FIFA probe. So this definitely bears watching. In the Copa America, I mentioned uh, Argentina beating Uruguay one nothing on a header by Sergio Aguero. The other story is Arturo Vidal wrecking his Ferrari outside of Santiago, arrested for DUI. I imagine that there may be some punishment coming down the line. It's possible that Arturo Vidal will miss the rest of Copa America. Certainly a crucial player for the hosts, and that would damage their chances to win a tournament on home soil very significantly. Report out today that Didier Drogba has turned down a two-year contract with Orlando City. Orlando City reaching out, trying to pair Didier Drogba with, obviously, with Kaká. And uh, Didier Drogba still uh, looking at his options and has decided to pass on that opportunity. The U-20 World Cup, yes, the tournament did continue despite the fact the United States were taken out. Serbia, the team that beat the U.S. on penalties, defeated Mali 2-1, while Senegal lost to Brazil 5-0, apologies, and Brazil and Serbia will meet in the final. And considering the way the United States played and, and how close they got to beating Serbia, you have to imagine that that uh, they feel like they missed an opportunity here. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk to Mr. Jonathan Tannewald from Canada. He'll join us to talk about the Women's World Cup. It's uh, fantastic. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Facing the crowd. Talking too loud. The best way to watch Copa America and the greatest players in the world, including Leo Messi, Neymar, James Rodriguez, and Alexi Sanchez is on Sling International's exclusive broadcast of Copa America on BN Sport. Sling TV is the number one live international TV service in the United States. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch every single Copa America game live or on demand 
featuring Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, Uruguay, and more. Plus, Sling International gives you access to Barca TV, Real Madrid TV, the New York Cosmos, Syria, and more top networks offered by Sling TV. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Sling International. Sign up today at www.sling.com slash soccer. Again, that's sling.com slash soccer. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back. We are talking Women's World Cup with a uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Jonathan Tannewald. He is live in Richmond, uh, B.C., Canada. That's what I meant to say. Um, And flying out to to Edmonton very shortly, so we appreciate his time. Uh, Jonathan, how are you? You know, I'm I'm used to being on the East Coast and listening to the show at 9 o'clock, from my office it's a little different out here on the west coast when things kick off at six in the morning it just it just it just goes to show you how committed our west coast fans are and i love every single one of them that listen live a lot of them are podcast people but i I like the ones that listen live because they make a commitment john yeah sure i'm i'm thrilled i'm (laughs) I'm really tired john uh will get some coffee and and wake up i'm sure but he is uh, certainly awake enough to talk about the u.s women women's national team beating nigeria one nothing to lock up Group D yesterday, John, this was not in any sense, and it's three games now, a convincing performance from the United States, and yet they got the job done. Which one should I be focused on? I was chatting in the press room after all was said and done with Livy Bird of SI, and I said that was downright Italian. Um, this was clearly a substance over style performance by Jill Ellis. It raises all manner of questions. But she can, as as I have done many times, and as all of us have done many times, point to the standing and say, "We finished group. We finished the top of the group. Talk to me later." Mm-hmm. And and you know, you style over substance. That that is is Other that way around. I'm sorry. Substance over style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> See, I'm not awake either. And even though it's nine, <laughs> even though it's nine thirteen on the on the East Coast, substance over style. Do you believe that was reflected in her lineup choices? I think it was reflected in her substitutions in particular, bringing Jill Ellis and Christy Rampone in, despite being up a player. Shannon Box, maybe? Is that who you meant to say? Yes, you're correct. Christy <laughs> Rampone and Shannon Box. This is a train wreck. Isn't it? <laughs> That's all right, John. Christy Rampone and Shannon Box in the last 25, the third, whatever it was, 25 some odd minutes, uh, despite being up a player when I really thought they should have gone for it. And look, maybe if Julie Johnston scores that early goal instead of being a half-step offside, um, the floodgates more properly open. Sure. But this was a game they should have won three or four to nothing. This is, this is true. Um, as you said, it was you, you described it as downright Italian in, in the sense that they, they, they did sort of lock things down. I, I'm not sure that I remember a, a whole lot of decent chances for the Nigerians. I think Hope Solo was maybe tested once or twice. Over the course of ninety minutes, and uh, and the other end, the United States didn't do a whole lot except for those set pieces. And Abby Wambach scores on a set piece. I've got a listener who says, you know, enough, <clears throat> enough with Wambach, enough with talking about her and her complaints about the turf. She's out there; she gets the job done. That's all we need to to worry about. If she gets the job done, 
She did this time. She didn't against Sweden, that's for sure. Or Australia. She did not. Yeah. No, she did no, not. Because she had a bunch of wide open headers, the kind of which she spent, you know, she spent 12 years now burying without thinking twice, and she missed them all. And that's a glaring weakness. And this prompted her to say that she scores fewer goals when she's playing on turf, which she attempted to walk back last night. Um, and only did so insofar as acknowledging that she didn't quite intend to create such controversy, but we'll see about that. Well, I mean, if she didn't intend to create controversy, she probably shouldn't, you know, continually I, talk about these issues. I'm not the one who said that. <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, well, I, I was, my, my cynical side was going to jump in with, you know, did she, re- how many times did she reference Scott and uh, Scott's in actual grass uh, in a post game, uh, post game press conference? All, or, uh, all, uh, comments? All, yeah. <laughs> all, all I will say is, and I don't ascribe this motivation to her per se, but it crossed my mind that in some kind of alternate universe, somebody would conclude that all of a sudden we stopped talking about Hope Solo. Ah. Well, that's an interesting bit of uh, potential um, sleight of hand by uh, that is a that is a conspiracy theory that's pretty high up the list. Of interesting sleight of sleight of word from Abby Wambach, perhaps. Uh, yeah. You know, if that if that is if that is true in any sense, way, shape, or form, that's actually pretty strong team leadership. Um, but maybe it's not here nor there. The, again, we're, we're coming back to this team and, and their performance last night and the performance overall in the group stage, John, and nobody is sitting here going, oh, this looks like a World Cup champion's uh, side. This is a team that has some significant kinks to work out as they hit the, the knockout rounds. Uh, winning Group D helps them, I suppose. Just give me a sense of, of how important it was to win the group in terms of, of what's coming next. Well, a couple of things. One, you're going to play a third-place team instead of a second-place team, which in, it helps. It should help, at least in theory, and I think it's going to end up helping. They'll probably end up with Colombia or England, and I'd rather play England at this point. Um, even though they're probably a better team than Colombia, I think England's more predictable. And uh, I think... You know, I've been really impressed with what Columbia has done so far. They've been really free spirit, and they just don't care what you think. Yeah, it, they're going to go out and beat France anyway. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Columbia's got that, that. They've certainly got a swagger about them, and they they have a they have a style of play that you imagine could do uh, could trouble the United States a lot more than what England's going to bring to the table. If if only because the United States might not be as proactive on the field. And if you give somebody else the opportunity, as they did against Nigeria, if you give another team that opportunity, they might punish you for it. John, I want to come to the lineup changes that Jill Ellis made for this match. Uh, she reinserts Abby Wambach after having her on the bench against Sweden. She puts Alex Morgan up top to start the game with questions about Morgan's fitness. Hasn't played a game in two months. Um, she decides to put Tobin Heath out there on the right side, which you would imagine gives some balance to their formation with Rapino on the left. Well, it, I'm going to, I'm going to 
correct two things there. One is that Morgan did play as a substitute, so this was her first start. Uh, that's what. That's okay. Certainly, that's what I. Um, that's what and, I meant. And the reason the reason why I bring that up is because Morgan clearly demonstrated that she was healthy enough. Okay, so. fair enough. I'm not. And, I, we and, haven't gotten and, to that point. Yet. Yeah. Had a <laughs> couple of chances that she should have scored on. One of them, Precious Day Day. Yeah, no, she Fantastic was. She, she was healthy enough to go. The I'm not sure when she came off. Um, the 65 minutes or whatever she went, but clearly sharpness is not there. And here's the other one about Tobin Heath. Yes, she started, and it was a good thing she did. Heath started on the left, and they ah, she, uh, Jill sorry. Ellis flipped Rapino over to the right. Okay, my my, my apologies. For that the reason the reason why I bring that up is because I'm willing to bet that had Rapino been on her natural left side and Heath been on her natural right side, they might have scored a few more goals. Mm, okay, well maybe we're overthinking things a bit, Jill Ellis. Uh, I mean, I get the sense that. Um, you know, while there is uh, lots of support for this team and the community, the soccer community in general, but, uh, um, you know, other fans jumping on board here within that specific soccer community, within the bubble, uh, the women's soccer bubble, especially Jill Ellis is uh, is uh, not highly rated at this point. Um, she isn't held in the highest regarded as talking about tactical savvy. I think that much is clear. Um. Look, as, as as we've both said, this team has flaws. Um, and they are flaws that I think are fairly easily addressable. Um, I think Heath deserves to start, and I think she deserves to play on the right. And Rapino, who is clearly in the form of her life right now, uh, you know, it ought to be on the left. And, and that helps. That makes it a little easier to stomach having Carly Lloyd and Lauren Holiday in the middle because neither of them are even the true old-fashioned English-style run-in straight lines at both ends of the field central midfielder, never mind a quote-unquote number six. Um, and I'd probably like to see Kristen Press and Alex Morgan up front together because mm-hmm. there's a little more skill in there, but... You know, and then and then bring Juan back in for the last half hour or so, and bring the hammer down because she can do what she did last night. I wouldn't be surprised if she starts again in the round of sixteen. They're gonna have a week off, which is enormously beneficial. And instead of having to fly to Moncton, they only have to fly to Edmonton, which is about an hour and a half. Instead right. of going all the way to be crossed, not only you know from the Pacific to the Eastern time zone, but Moncton's a further time zone past that. And I can tell you right now that all of us in the media are awfully glad that we're not having to scramble to book flights to Moncton at the last minute. <laughs> right. Um, the so we we we've just established exactly what she did with the midfield, and as you said, uh, Holiday and uh, and Lloyd they've been underwhelming. The three matches underwhelming. Is there is there a functional issue? Is there a, a tactical issue? Um, you know, I, I've got a comment on uh, on Twitter. I had a comment on Twitter this morning from somebody saying that Tony DiCicco identified um, one of them. I can't. I, I don't have the comment in front of me. Whoever whoever is the more creative element as the ten in this system, except that it's a four four two and there is no attacking midfielder in a four four two, which I think is a mischaracterization of the of the formation. But the point stands that that there seems to be a lack of understanding as as to who's going forward, whether it's Holiday or you know, et cetera, et cetera. Holiday is a number 10 playmaking midfielder. Carly Lloyd is a number eight-ish, able to play both ends of the field, likes to get stuck in a little bit, 
but also likes to get forward when she can. And as we've seen, she can do that very well. There is it, Tony DeChico is correct. There is no true number six on this starting lineup. The midfield four is flat as a pancake, and um, it's a problem. And it was a problem when they announced the roster in the first place, and that pretty well solidified the notion that they were going with this flat four four two that doesn't really, you know, put either Lloyd or Holiday in their best positions. Because the only holding midfielder on this team is Shannon Box, and if my memory is correct, which we've clearly demonstrated at this hour is not, I believe she is thirty-seven. Shannon Box, uh, yes, Shannon Box, the only uh, clear out-and-out defensive midfielder, thirty-seven years old, at thirty thirty-eight by the time this tournament ends, and she ends up, you know, she ends up getting into that game, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, so does Christy Rampone, who is thirty-nine. And you mentioned the substitutions at the end. I mean, Sidney LaRue, Sidney LaRue was the other substitution in the 66th minute for Morgan. I, I, I get LaRue. Um, you know, she's going to run hard. She's going she's gonna to battle. She's going to try to hold the ball up. She's going to be a, a handful for the Nigerian back line down the stretch and give you an outlet. And you already have one back in the game to serve as a target. But Rampone and Box, and not that they don't, they're not legends, and not that they don't deserve all of the respect we can muster, John, but to see them in this game at that point, and I, I saw Bodur on Twitter saying, why do you make these changes and then give Wambach nothing to do? Because you're not, that, now you're not getting that service. I, I'm with you. I'm with Bo. I, I do think, I mean, I look, I, I was not surprised to see Rampone in this game. This was that, I, my only problem if you only made one of the two uh, and the other one was more attacking minded, I would not be complaining. Both is a little much. And uh, I referred to the old phrase that a lot of us had on our minds last night uh, from the other football, which is that the prevent defense prevents you from winning. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and it almost did. Because Nigeria had a chance or two to tie the game if they didn't finish. It was odd, uh, John, watching that game on television, and I, I don't know how, what the sense was in the press box or when you it, it were in the building, but it was odd that that Wombach scores and there's this and just before halftime and and maybe that's the lift and that's the boost of confidence and you go into the locker room having taken the lead, but it was almost as though that that was it. Like, oh, we we did it, we scored, now we're done, now we get to now now we just uh, I don't know, we just hang around for another 45 minutes and then we'll walk our way into the knockout rounds. It never seemed as though they had certainly by the substitutions later in the game, any such, any sort of killer instinct, which I think you need to curry. If you're Jill Ellis, I'm with you. And if she doesn't know that they've got it in their back pocket and she doesn't, you know, she said in the, in the press conference the day before that she was thinking about thinking about loosening the reins on this team, and in particular some of its younger players, and I sat there and I said to myself and I wrote, aha, we're finally going to see this team, you know, in full flow, and for 45 minutes we did, and then for 45 minutes I would argue we did not. Um, let me ask you this about Sidney LaRue, since I was able to hear what I heard in the stadium, and I don't know how it sounded on television. 
Did the booing people come through when she took the field? Were you able to hear? You that? know, I I I I watched that game a little distracted. Uh, John, my life is is kind of hectic. So visually, I you know, I, obviously, I it was the same as everybody else saw. I did not catch any boos, but that oh, that doesn't mean she they, was booed. Okay, well, it doesn't mean they didn't come through on television. It just means that I didn't catch them. Maybe we'll put that out there to the listener. Hit, hit, listeners, hit us up on soccer, at, at Soccer Morning on Twitter if you watched the U.S. women la- last night and and uh, did or did not hear any boos for Sydney LaRue. Is that is that anything at all of a story? I know you identify well, you identify the guy, but you certainly singled out one person who was booing uh, below the press box or, or, or giving her stick. Is that I, still I, a thing? No, I it, it was. I didn't single out one person. I singled out as soon as I hit the ground in Vancouver, Benjamin Massey and Daniel Sposato, <laughs> uh, who have been carrying the flag yes, yes. Uh, for going after Sydney LaRue since, oh, I don't know when she was not when she I, was, I think, I think, for a long time. Yeah, anyway, yeah. there are people in Vancouver who are still sore about the fact that she chose to play for the United States over Canada, to which I would remind them that there are players who have chosen to play for Canada over the United States. Uh, the, the, well, those two gentlemen in particular, um, I think I I always think of Squiz as kind of harmless and Ben Massey, just a little bit edgier and nastier, but anyway, going, that uh, is, that is Daniel Squizzato, all one word on Twitter and Lord underscore Bob. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, uh, I like Ben. I think he's a really good writer, but I can't follow him on Twitter. It's just too much, (laughs) too much, John. I made that decision uh, probably a year ago at this point. It's been a while. Um, this team, again, going forward, lots of questions, lots of concerns about the attacking prowess. Certainly, um, you, you know, you score three games in your opener, you get ones off a deflection. It's, it's basically Megan Rapinoe's game. Uh, you've scored one more sense. And, and I saw a stat lowest uh, output in the group stage, probably ever for the U S women. I'm not sure that's exact, but, but for our purposes, it, it the only thing that matters is that it is a low goal scoring output for a team that traditionally has scored goals. Is that a concern? I mean, it has to be a concern. Yes, and, 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 absolutely. Because and, the only player, I mean, Morgan, who we finally saw at longer length last night, and I'm glad we did. Other than her, and she's you know been off, off the field for a lot, the one player who throughout this tournament, who has consistently demonstrated that she does not care what you think and is just going to go out there and attack the darn thing is Megan Rapinoe. She's been the... She and Julie Johnston have been the two best players for the U.S. in this tournament by a lot. Um, and, you know, I suppose that Sauerbrunn and Klingenberg have been mm-hmm. third and fourth. Mm-hmm. I, I, Carly Lloyd has struggled. She has not had as much of the ball as she wants. She has told me and others that, that she knows that she is not where she wants to be. But not all of that is her fault. I think Jill Ellis has imposed some of that upon her because of this formation. Um, and I'm not sure how much, if they play England, for example, or even if they play Colombia and properly beat them in the round of 16 and then play whoever it is, they're going to play in the quarterfinals. Neither of those teams will be as good. I suspect as Sweden or Australia, Mm -hmm. and they certainly will not be as good as Germany, who they will probably face in the semifinals if they get there. Or France, if France manages to get its head on straight and win the group today. Uh, We're not going to have another really accurate measurement Mm -hmm. of this team for a while. And, uh, you know, 
as we've been saying for a long time now, by the time we do, it might be too late. You know, um, you know, let's go back. Let's let's talk about that back line, and, and we'll, we'll we'll single out Julie Johnston, who's been fantastic. But and, and I'm not throwing shade on her performance or Sauerbrunn's performance or anybody back there. Uh, I'm really not Klingenberg, Krieger. I, I'm saying. In that first game, we saw some some we ha- there were issues. We saw issues. Now, I don't think it was entirely the back line's fault. I think uh, Ho- Holiday and Lloyd had some some problems covering space. Certainly, um, you imagine that's Lloyd's pr- responsibility for the most part. Um, so we saw some issues against Australia. The, the Aussies created m- numerous chances. Hope Solo had to save the United States several times. Meanwhile, we come to the Sweden game and. It's all great. They play a defensively locked down game. We're all extolling the virtues of Julie Johnston. And Nigeria doesn't threaten much. And now I, I get the sense that we're all just sort of uh, accepting the fact that the United States, or maybe not, not you, but certainly the fans are imagining this team's fantastic defensively. It's just in the attack we have problems. Is that is that? I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Johnston has played well. Klingenberg's been outstanding. I mean, she not only the goal line clearance, but she had a couple of, of – uh, of good tackles last night. You know, it's interesting. You said it's Carly Lloyd's job to track back and cover that enormous. I mean, look, I'm no tactical expert, but as, as I think we've all seen, you don't have to be one to know there was this giant hole mm-hmm. in the middle of the park that Australia ran right through. Um, you said it's Carly Lloyd's job to track back. Funny thing is that under Jill Ellis, it is not. It is Lauren Holiday's job to track back. Uh, well, okay. I mean, I'm applying the and job to, the to both of them, but obviously, yeah, it's an it's an issue of understanding and instinct um, between the two of them. And if they don't have that, then yeah, I'm going to put that on Jill Ellis. Sure. What else you got? <laughs> the brain just okay. Yeah, I I, we, I guess we killed that thread off. Um, okay, let's let's let's. Uh, I guess we'll come to uh, to your experiences up there in the tournament so far. I mean, I, clearly you saw the United States play. I, I guess the support for the U.S. has been been pretty solid, John. Marvelous, yeah, I, absolutely marvelous. Um, I'm going to try to do this as politely as I can, and I've been trying to figure out ever since I left Winnipeg what the right way is to do it, and it's been difficult. There are some very nice people in Winnipeg. There was no buzz because that city is boring. I'm sorry. It's just, it is. (laughs) The downtown core, and look, I was a city planning student, so this touches me very deeply. The downtown core has a lot of skywalks because it gets to be ridiculously cold in the middle of the winter and people don't want to go outside. No foot traffic at all and blah, blah, blah. Bingo. Vancouver has been rocking. And... Every day I've been there, I've been over to Jackpool Plaza, the Fox said, and every time I've been over there, there have been 100 or so U.S. fans. Whether or not there's been the show on, just milling around, hoping to say hi to Heather Mitzer, Alexi Lawless, or Rob Stone. There's a couple of bars over there that have some decent food and decent drinks where people have been hanging out. Um, it's been lots of fun. Um, and... I've never been to Edmonton before. I, I have no idea what it's like. I know that it is the home of a very good soccer writer by the name of Stephen Sandor. But uh, from everybody else who I know in Canada, they like taking shots at the place. So we're mm. going to find out. Um, the one thing that I would say um, about the fan support and how wonderful it has been is that I hope folks will go to uh, philly.com's World Cup page at philly.com slash World Cup and find my story, which should still be up there, 
on the American Outlaws being at a Women's World Cup for the first time ever in an organized fashion. I talked at length with Dan Wiersma about what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I talked with a lot of, a couple of former U.S. players, Kate Markraft and Julie Foudy. I talked with J.P. Delacamera. It's a bunch of my old friends from back in the day in D.C. about how things have changed over time and how the supporters' culture has finally come into women's soccer. It has taken a long time. It has taken well over a decade, and as I wrote in the piece, I personally was very involved in it as a fan at the 2003 Women's World Cup, where uh, a group of us who were in a D.C. United Supporters Club at the time, and we tried to get a Sam's Army section at the game in D.C. against Sweden, and we were there, we had a drum, we had some flags, and the fans all around us told us to sit down and be quiet. And that happened enough times that we finally agreed at halftime of the game uh, to move to the upper deck of the stadium where we could hang out with the South Koreans who had all a whole bunch of terms of themselves and, and we had a good time. But this year, that fight, and I would I dare say, you know, this tournament, that Monday night in Winnipeg when the first game happened, and all over the uh, that one end zone of Winnipeg Stadium, they were American Outlaws banners. That was the night that this fight that I tried to fight 12 years ago and failed. That was the night that that fight finally got finally got won. Okay, a couple of things here, John, that, that I'm interested in. Um, this is this is obviously on the Outlaws to be organ, you know, to go to the World Cup in an organized fashion, as you said, to, to organize those trips, to put together those packages, to be that group. You're, what you're identifying also is a change in the culture, a development in the in the women's soccer culture, uh, fan culture. Um, what do you ascribe that to? <sighs> to a couple of things. One of them is the men's soccer culture wanting to support women's soccer as soccer, which you and I have discussed before. The other thing is the women's soccer culture saying two things. One, hey, there are men that actually want to support us. Hey, there are women that actually want to support us in the way that they do the men. And in the early years of professional women's soccer, and I'm talking like you know the, the Women's United Soccer Association sure. era in, from 2001 to 2003, and even into the WPS era after that until its final year, there was quite a bit of, we don't want the guys involved in this. We want to do it on our own. And a, whether, a side effect of that, whether intentional or not, and for some people I think it was, was it saying, we don't want the soccer culture in our stadiums. We want the moms and their dads and their kids, and we want it to be all family-friendly. Major League Soccer learned their lesson, and over time, ultimately, the women's soccer community said, hey, you know what? This is actually pretty cool. We can have this here. There are people who want to do it. They're not going to use foul language in the stands because they're smarter than that. Um, let's welcome them into the tent. And Jennifer O'Sullivan, when she was the commissioner of women's professional soccer, told me in 2012, we need that. And she was the first person of that stature to have ever done it. I think part of the reason why they needed it was because they needed more people in the stadiums, mm-hmm. which is true. They did. And that was one very easy way to do it. And the other person who I, I, I think deserves a lot of credit is Paul Riley, who's now the coach of the Portland Thorns. At the time, he was the coach of the Philadelphia Independents. And he 
made the overtures to the sons of Ben, saying, come to our games. We will give you space. We will make sure that you are not, you know, surrounded by a bunch of people who want you to sit down and be quiet. And we will give you space to support us in the way that you do the Philadelphia Union, because I want that. Right. And Riley genuinely wanted that himself. And I think he deserves a lot of credit. I'm, I'm glad to see that we don't, that we're eliminating some of these barriers of exceptionalism. You know, soccer's already got this attitude of exceptionalism, which I try to break down all the time, John. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I hate that there's an exceptionalism of, of women's soccer within soccer. Let's not, you know, this is, as you said, we're treating this as soccer because that's what it is. That's what it should be treated as. The same thing goes for, for the fan support. If you want to go out and, and watch good soccer and support the team, you should be able to do it in, in that way. Jonathan Tannenwald is in uh, Richmond, British Columbia, Canada, and he's leaving there to go to Edmonton and follow the U.S., and uh, we appreciate his time early in the morning on the West Coast. <laughs> Thank you. I'll Thank talk you, to you soon. All right. There goes uh, Jonathan Tannenwald. Good stuff uh, from him. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will grab Sam Kelly from South America and talk Copa America with that guy. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. The best way to watch Copa America and the greatest players in the world, including Leo Messi, Neymar, James Rodriguez, and Alexi Sanchez, is on Sling International's exclusive broadcast of Copa America on BN Sport. Sling TV is the number one live international TV service in the United States. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch every single Copa America game live or on demand featuring Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, Uruguay, and more. Plus, Sling International gives you access to Barca TV, Real Madrid TV, the New York Cosmos, Syria, and more top networks offered by Sling TV. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Sling International. Sign up today at www.sling.com soccer. Again, that's sling.com soccer. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Let's talk some Copa America with Sam Kelly. You can follow him on Twitter at H-E-G-S underscore com. It's Hasta El Gol Siempre. Uh, the Hand of Pod as well, and he's a writer at many places. Sam, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Jason. How are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you enjoying Copa America so far? Uh, so far from a new living room, because unfortunately I'm not actually in Chile. I've uh, just moved flat in Buenos Aires, which got in the way of, of heading over to the tournament somewhat. But um, it's been a good tournament. You know, I, I think there's been some, you know, we, so we have, we've had a couple of, of, of thrilling games, sort of those crazy games that this tournament can throw up. Uh, Chile's match with, with Mexico certainly counts um, in that category. But I think otherwise there's been some question of whether or not this is a, a pretty dour tournament. Is that not what you're seeing? Um. The same accusations got leveled four years ago when, when the Copa America was held here in Argentina. Um, and although I defended uh, the 2011 Copa to an extent, I was quite enjoying the, the upsets that, that, it, that it caused and the, the fact that pretty much, let's say, three of the four semi-finalists um, were not expected was something that, that I enjoyed. Um, it has to be said that so far I've enjoyed this one more. Um, I, I don't think that it's been as dour 
as some people are, are saying. There's always a bit of an issue when you, you have, for instance, Argentina um, in their first match, really, really impressive in the first half, but then throwing it away um, in the second half to only draw two all with Paraguay. And Brazil, so pedestrian and struggling so much to, to beat Peru and really looking like Neymar plus 10 others. When Argentina and Brazil are not performing um, in, in top gear, let's say, there's always going to be some accusations levelled at the copper of being, oh, it's a bit dull, the best teams aren't there, blah, 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 because really a lot of people are paying attention to those sides more than to, to the others. Um, and to an extent, I think it's it, there's a danger of, of taking the credit away from the other teams because you know they're having to play against opponents. Obviously, there are 11 other players on the pitch. The the issue with Argentina and Brazil, um, you know, and, and we always get this, right? The, the summer tournaments, whether it's the World Cup or Copa America or the Euros, come after the long European season. Is fatigue a factor here? Is this just a lack of, of, of cohesion due to a lack of training time together? What are we looking at? Both of them have got new managers who, of course, have had um, the best part of a year to, to get their ideas across um, with friendlies. But they only get the players for a few days at friendlies. Uh, for friendly, sorry. Um, and these are their first matches, competitive matches in charge. Gerardo Martino has now had two games competitively in charge of Argentina because, of course, they played last night. And Dunga has still only played one competitive match in charge of Brazil in his current time in charge, of course. Um, and to an extent, I think that that comes into it. With with more playing time comes better cohesion. We saw it from Argentina last night. They looked a lot better um, than they did uh, over the 90 minutes against Paraguay, perhaps not as spectacular as they did in the first half, but certainly, you know, they, they were competent, which is more than can be said for them in the second half of the Paraguay match. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that a lot of it has to do with that, just the, the playing time together and, and the teams gelling and the managers having the chance to really get their ethos across and perhaps to calm down a bit. I wonder whether Martino panicked a little bit with his substitutions in the second half against Paraguay. Last night's changes were more conservative, yes, but also perhaps a bit more sensible given the situation uh, of the match. And I'm going to apologise for that background noise now because there's an ambulance coming down my road. Certainly. we are, it's, it's, It's fine. Don't worry about it uh, getting a little Buenos Aires in the background. Um, the, the, I mean, let me come to Tata Martino because um, I get the sense, and, and I don't know how he's, he's viewed in Argentina, but I get the sense he's sort of a... Uh, a comic figure is that is that the right way? I mean, there, there's a video out. I just saw this this morning, and I don't know the context. And I don't know how this is being received in, in Argentina. But there's a video out of the teams in the tunnel coming out onto the pitch, and Messi and and, and Angel Di Maria are laughing over something Martino said in the locker room. Uh, is is what, what's going on there? I think that that was a video um, that that was actually them coming out for the second half of the Paraguay game okay. rather than of last night's. Okay. Match. Okay. Um, and it was something that, that was a, a criticism of, of, of the team as a whole um, when that video came out, which was that they, they were said to me sort of laughing because Martino had, had apparently sat, them, sat the team down and had said, OK, guys, you know, you're 2-0 up, you're playing well, but you've, th- this is Paraguay, they have a superb mentality, you can't afford to, to, to let them back into the game here because the game's not over yet. And... The, the allegation is that Messi and Di Maria were having a laugh and saying, what's he talking about? We're tuning up, we're coasting here, it's easy. Um, and so I, I don't see that as much of a criticism of, of Gerardo Martino. Having said that, I haven't yet seen how that video is being portrayed, if it is being portrayed 
uh, in the international press this morning, but certainly it, it's a video that I heard about yeah. uh, two or three days ago, and 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 that uh, I believe if it's the one that I'm thinking of, it's it was halftime of the Paraguay match rather than halftime of the Uruguay match last night. Okay, fair enough. I mean, certainly that ma- that context matters, and 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 whether or not. I guess maybe it speaks more to the attitude of the players, and, and in this case of Di Maria and, and Messi, than it does to anything that that Martino did or did wrong, did not you know did right or did wrong. Is there a sense that that Argentina is that they are coasting, that they do think this is um, that they they came in with the wrong mentality in a tournament that is notorious for being much more difficult than than these big sides probably give it credit for? Um, I don't think so, particularly with Argentina because they've. They've not won it since 1993. It was right. the last senior trophy that they won. Um, they've obviously won a couple of Olympic Games since then, but at, at a full international level, um, they don't have a trophy in the last 22 years, and, and they're desperate for something, anything at all. Reaching the World Cup final last year, um, coming so close and, and then failing, um, really affected this group of players. And so I don't think that they were um, unprepared for a challenge but I do think that the first the way that Paraguay played as well in the first half of that opening match probably relaxed Argentina a bit more um, than they should have allowed themselves to relax because Mm -hmm. as well as being a very very dominant Argentina performance in the first half Paraguay were also absolutely pathetic Mm -hmm. Um, in the second half when they came back into it the, the first sort of 20 minutes of the second half were night and day change it was difficult to believe that we were watching the same match um, because Paraguay stepped it up so much and I think that it has more to do with that the situation in the match at the time and Paraguay's first half performance than um, than any complacency coming into the tournament as a whole from Argentina let me go to, to last night's game against Uruguay because the, these two teams notoriously uh, notorious for playing very physical um, matches, and, and this seems to follow the same pattern. There's one goal in it, Zabaleta find, finding the head of Sergio Aguero. A, a fantastic cross, a, a wonderful finish. Did we get many other moments of quality? I'll admit that I had one eye on this and one eye on a Women's World Cup and one eye on something else. It's very difficult. Um, well, arguably the, the real moment of quality in the goal was Javier Pastore's um, first touch and then turn to, to place Zabaleta in yes, for the cross. Yes. Um, for Aguero, so I'd, I'd nominate that as the as, as the other moment. There were a couple of runs from Messi. There were a couple of very nice exchanges between Messi and Pastore. Um, in particular, I, I thought that both of those players did very well. Nicolas Otamendi defended well. Um, and for Uruguay, there was one very nice move which led to an absolute sitter being missed um, by Roland, um, which would have made it 1-1. He couldn't believe himself. Uh, he, he looked absolutely horrified after the miss. Um, but really, that was the only genuine chance that, that Uruguay had. Um, I thought it was a, a dominant performance from Argentina, obviously in difficult circumstances, because Uruguay were always going to, to try and keep it very tight to try and frustrate their opponents. To The way that I saw one Uruguayan journalist put it on Twitter at halftime was, Uruguay are doing a great job so far. They need to keep this up just just remain tight, continue to frustrate Argentina, and eventually Argentina are going to get impatient mm-hmm. and Uruguay are going to get their chance. Well, um, and they're, they're a completely different side without Luis Suarez in the team. Well, that's the thing, yeah. I mean, it, it adds an awful lot of pressure to the forwards. Obviously, Edinson Cavani um, is, is by a long way the most um, experienced forward in the Uruguay squad for this copper. Um, he's often struggled when he's had to play for Uruguay on his own without... Um, Suarez and, and Diego Forlan alongside him 
And that's what he's having to do in this tournament. And that adds a lot of pressure on him, on his shoulders, in a situation that he historically hasn't performed too well in, albeit he's not had very many occasions on which he's had to do it on his own for them. Um, it also adds a lot of pressure onto the guys who, who are accompanying him, Roland uh, Hernandez of Hull City, um, and, and, and means that they're all having to learn a new system uh, for them, learn how to slot into let's say, an established manager's system, and, and that manager, Oscar Washington Tavares, is having to rework his tactics with a team that he's been in charge of for a very long time. And so it's kind of, he's got to recalibrate how he looks at it. And to that extent, we've seen some fairly disjointed stuff from Uruguay so far. Mm-hmm. And their, their best bet almost is to, to fall back on what they know historically to, to make themselves very, very difficult to beat um, to get stuck in and not be afraid of the physical side of the game, right. and of course they're they're more than capable of playing football with the with the players that they've got. But it's trying to work out the the exact system without one, as you say, very key player in Suarez, and also without another historically important player for them Forlan. in Diego Forlan. Yeah. Uh, let's jump to uh, to some of the rest of the tournament uh, quickly, uh, Sam. Th- let me come to Chile because of the hosts. There's a lot of. Uh, you know, there's always pressure on the host, but certainly when you imagine that the team has the 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 quality and the ability uh, to maybe go all the way, um, that now we have word that last night um, Arturo Vidal out in his Ferrari, perhaps having a little bit too much to drink, has been uh, was in a car accident. Now ultimately he wasn't injured; uh, he didn't suffer any major injuries, but he was arrested um, for for the transgression for drink, for being a, a drunk driver. If they lose him, and I don't know how you keep him on the team now. If they lose him, how much damage does that do to their to their possible run deep into this tournament and, and where the, the people would like to see them in a final? Well, it could be huge because he's been one of their uh, more impressive performers in their opening two matches. Um, he's won a couple of penalties, one in each game. Uh, both of them questionable, I think it's fair to say. Um, and, and has generally looked like a, a driving presence from midfield. He's looked a lot more... Uh, disciplined than, than he did in, in the Champions League final just a few weeks ago. Um, he's been good Vidal so far in the tournament and as a result to, to lose him obviously he doesn't necessarily threaten their um, standing in the group too much. That That's still you know, they're, they're, they're going to qualify, uh, particularly given the, the format of, of the Copa America with, with only four teams going out from, from the 12 in the group stage. Um, the two best third place play uh, third place teams go through as well, of, of course, and so I don't really think that their qualification is is in any doubt. But of course, what is it's the position in the group because with one match to go, and then whoever they have to play next in the knockout stage, um, it affects Chile's chances enormously. They have other talented players on the team. It's not as if they're a a one man band. Um, I don't think that it's it's going to affect Chile as much necessarily as. You know, for Uruguay losing Luis Suarez, of course, who, who I think is um, more of a key player for Uruguay than Vidal is for Chile. But at the same time, they're losing him with very, very little time to prepare for the next match, whereas Uruguay at least have known right. for pretty much the last year that they're going to be coming into this tournament without Suarez. Um, and so it, it, it's a major rejig needed. It obviously takes one player out the squad as well. It means they've only got 22 players as a whole. I'm assuming they're not going to be able to call up a, a 23rd player as an emergency. Um, to make up the numbers and yeah it, it adds a lot of pressure on the team um, and it's going to make things a lot more difficult for them 
Well, I will say that it'll be, uh, it might be nice for Chile if Alexis Sanchez would finish more of his chance. I mean, he's an amazing player. He's always doing something dangerous. He just, <laughs> for whatever reason, the, turn to, the amount of uh, Chile that I've seen, Sam, he seems to be a little, a little unable to, to finish those chances. Yeah, he had one moment during, the, um, during their opening match, which I, I said on Twitter, was, it, it was as if he was letting the, the stereotype of Arsene Wenger's arsenal <laughs> yeah, right. invade his play for Chile because he, he had a couple of nice turns in the penalty box and seemed intent on dribbling it round everybody into the net when he could have just smacked it and it would possibly have gone in. He was only about six yards out. Um, but he seemed absolutely intent on, on engineering a, a wonder solo goal for himself and ignoring his teammates who were there to pass to or indeed the chance to just shoot. Um, he's obviously fantastically talented. He, he, he's a wonderful player and, and he's, there's a good reason that he's the driving force of the Chilean attack. Um, but yeah, the, the finishing has, has been something of a, a problem for them so far, which seems bizarre to say about a team that have scored five goals in two matches. Sure, yes, yes. They, again, 3-3 three, three, uh, three, three draw with, um, with Mexico and obviously opening the tournament with a 2-0 win. Uh, let me come to Group C because we've got matches tonight. Um, Brazil, Colombia, and Colombia, obviously the disappointment so far, having lost to uh, to Venezuela in their their opener. Brazil underwhelming against Peru, but ultimately getting a win. This is a clash of of two teams who need to figure it out pretty quickly. Uh, Brazil's probably okay, but for Colombia, you're talking about not being able to to put away chances that they they, had, they didn't score against a team that they were supposed to dominate. Indeed, I, I mentioned on Twitter after the uh, Colombia Venezuela match that. To an extent, you know, people surprised at, at Venezuela winning that game, but uh, it's as if they're forgetting that Venezuela reached the semis of the last Copa America. But then to another extent, it, it really is a big shock that Venezuela managed to win because since that Copa America, the uh, sort of promised uh, increase in, in Venezuela's development hasn't really happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there were huge hopes that they managed to qualify for the World Cup for the first time ever. Um, and after looking like they might do so for part of the qualification tournament, they fell away. Um, and, you know, Colombia qualified fairly comfortably. They were one of the more impressive sides in South American qualification. They've got some wonderfully talented players, and they definitely come into this this Copa uh, before the opening match. They, they were considered one of the favourites, I think, for good reason. Um, and the performance against Venezuela was, was one that I think Venezuela could have been very, very pleased with. They did a very good job of closing Colombia's angles down and Colombia didn't really seem to have any um, tactical answer or any, any creative answer to, to find a way through what was admittedly a very packed Venezuelan uh, defence in midfield. And they're going to need to to work something out because I don't think that Brazil, defensively at least, are going to be an awful lot different from Venezuela, particularly under Dunga when, when you look at how sure. they've They've approached their friendlies. We know that Brazil are going to do exactly the same thing, look to close down space on the flanks, look to close down space on the middle um, and use the talent of their forwards to to get forward. And, and I'm not sure from what I saw the other night, which is the first time that I've really seen him play, um, that Douglas Costa is, you know, a massive leap up in quality compared with Venezuela's forwards. But I'm absolutely certain that Neymar is an astronomical yes, leap up in quality absolutely. compared with pretty much any other forwards on the planet. Um, and he proved to make the difference uh, for Brazil against Peru, who put in a very similar performance to, to Venezuela, in fact, yeah. manning the, the back lines, making it difficult to break down, um, not wanting to give anything away and taking it until the 91st minute to be robbed of the, the draw. Um, 
so it, it's going to be very interesting, I think, to see how Colombia deal with it, because I think we pretty much know, as I say, how Brazil are going to set up. They're going to be defending in numbers, looking to hit with, with Neymar's pace and talent on the counter-attack. Um, and how Colombia go about this game is going to be a litmus test for them, I think. Uh, we, you know, we started talking about, uh, talking about whether or not this tournament is, is dour. You, you've defended it, but when you have a, a Dunga-led Brazil, I mean, it just kind of fits the whole, the whole narrative, doesn't it? Uh, Sam Kelly, H-E-G-S underscore com on Twitter. Hand of Pod is uh, something you need to be checking out as well. And he writes at many other places, uh, many places, and then does a fantastic job. Uh, Sam, I appreciate the time and, and your insight, and uh, perhaps we'll talk to you later in the tournament. It's been a pleasure, Jason. I'll talk to you later. Uh, there goes uh, Sam Kelly. Good stuff from him. Always enjoy talking Copa America. When we come back, we'll take some of your phone calls on a Wednesday edition of Soccer Morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Phone lines are open 646-832-3909. That's 3909. Jump in because guess what? We got some stuff to talk about, people. U.S. women are advancing to the knockout rounds of the Women's World Cup in Canada. And Clint Dempsey went absolutely crazy last night. I was going to say bat-ass crazy. And then I stopped myself from cursing. But it still applies. Bat S crazy last night. Now, I'm not going to say that the referee performance in that game was good because it wasn't. Um, I understand the frustration. You lose. You're, you're down four men, one of them because of injury, three of them because of red card. You're, you're, try, you're, you're down a goal in extra time. You're trying to defend your Open Cup title. Clearly, the Sounders were taking this pretty seriously. With Obafemi Martins and Clint Dempsey and Brad Evans, who, by the way, sent off. Uh, all of these guys in the game. This wasn't, this wasn't one of those half-ass efforts at the Open Cup. They were going hard at this. And to lose that way, to be losing that way, to have, to have the red cards impact the, the game the way that they did, clearly upset Clint Dempsey. And when Michael Azero was sent off... Clint Dempsey lost his cool, and he grabbed the notebook, and he ripped it up, ripped it up, and you can't do that. I mean, if you want to sit here and tell me that a player's frustration gives them the right to do, I can't agree with you. You can be frustrated. You can yell and scream and whatever you want to do, as long as you're not accosting or assaulting the referee. That's the line for me. Let's go to uh, Al. In uh, where are you, Al? Where are you, Al? I'm calling from Springfield, Missouri. Ah, Springfield, Missouri. Go ahead. Yes, yeah. Where I just um, which I um enjoyed the I seventy Derby between Sporty Kansas City and St. Louis. Great atmosphere at the game. Yeah, nineteen thousand at yeah, that game, right? But, oh yeah, yeah. It was a great. It was a great game. First of all, and. Lots of fans from St. Louis, and I can imagine though if we get that new stadium in downtown St. Louis, you know, if we if St. Louis moves up the MLS, can you imagine sixty thousand fans, from both 
you know, from fans from St. Louis and Kansas City at the game. Yeah, those uh, those dar- those anyway, derby games, those rivalry games, could be if you if they did end up, and I don't want them to play in a football stadium, Al. I'm sorry, I don't. But if they do end up with a football stadium in St. Louis and a soccer team playing in it, you could open up the whole thing. Sure, certainly. Oh yes, definitely. Well, anyway, I want to talk about the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. I still okay. have my concerns with that team, and I just just there's something that's not clicking with that team ever since their performance against um, Sweden and everything, that, you know, they'll probably make it to the finals, but I'm not sure they're going to win it all. If they took on a team against, let's say, France and Germany, they're going to have some real problems, whereas, you know, they should be able to breeze through the, um, the round of 16 and make it to the, at least the semifinals. The, 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 what, the, the women have not impressed anybody. Al, I don't think there's any doubt about that. No, they haven't. Um, and and you know even the even the most raw raw fans that I see on Twitter um, and out there are sort of recognizing that this is a team that if they're going to go all the way, are going to do it by the skin of their teeth, and they're going to do it on the back of effort and fitness and athleticism. And while that's all okay, and I, and I I would happily take a World Cup trophy with using all of those attributes. There's also a recognition that if the United States is going to compete regularly for World Cups moving forward, and if they wanted to, they want to be a contender of the top echelon, they're going to have to evolve, and that hasn't happened yet. And I don't know if I don't know if winning this World Cup does damage to the uh, to any attempt to develop and move forward. I don't care because I want the World Cup trophy. But there is there is maybe an issue with whether or not U.S. soccer and the people in charge of the women's program have in mind the idea of get, catching up. I mean, this is a problem now. For, forever, it was the rest of the world trying to catch up to the United States. Now, it's the United States trying to catch up to Japan and France and Germany. Exactly. And I think this is going to be her last attempt to win the World Cup because, you know, a lot of those players, you know, are in the, I mean, not a whole lot of them, but quite a few of them were perhaps in their 30s and everything else, and they're playing their last World Cup. People like Abby Wambach and and um, Megan Rubino and maybe um, and maybe I forgot her name. Okay, well, there's, there's, so there's this not, is it. This is it. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Megan Rapinoe's Megan Rapinoe's twenty nine. Uh, players in the women's game tend to last a little bit longer than the men's game. You need to shift your expectations about four or five years for the women's game because, yeah, you know, Shannon Box is thirty seven and she's on this team, and and uh, obviously Christy Rampone is thirty nine and they're on this team. They may not be starters, but they can still contribute. You may have some some women who are in the twenty uh, twenty nineteen team who are. You know, thirty five, thirty six, thirty seven. Clearly, for Abby Wambach, yeah. this is this is probably. I mean, I don't know. She could be thirty seven and still be a target forward, but I think most people imagine she's on her way out after this. And and there are some other players. Yes. Now you, but you do have look. You have the the Alex Morgans, the the Sydney Larue's, uh, the Tobin Heaths, the uh, uh, the 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 um, Morgan Bryan's. There there's a there is there is some. Uh, you know, there's obviously a a serious youth element in this team. It's just that the team has relied on those veteran players for so long. Lauren Holiday is only 27, so you know you're you're going to see some of these guys, some of these women hang in there, but some of them are going to go, and it's it's going to be an interesting transition. You got anything else, Al? Yeah, that's it. All right, man. Appreciate the phone call right, from uh, from Missouri. 
Right. I believe my man Al did say Megan Rubino, which uh, is not correct, but I'll give him a pass. I mean, it's a lot of soccer to take in right now. It's been a busy period. It's the summer. It's the first day of summer vacation for my kid, by the way. So, and here's the situation. For the time being, coming to work with daddy. So if you catch a little, if you catch a little bit of my kid's voice, or a little la- a little kid laugh in the background. And you're thinking, what is that? And, and maybe it's driving you nuts. There you go. There, there you go. There's, there's the situation. All right. Uh, two very, very good guests today. Jonathan Tannewald, uh, sleepy but excellent from Vancouver. And Sam Kelly from down in Buenos Aires giving us uh, their insight uh, into the Women's World Cup and Copa America, respectively. Good tournaments happening right now. Uh, U.S. Open Cup, that stuff is uh, continuing to, is going to continue tonight. Uh, we've got MLS coming up this weekend. Uh, uh, lots of things to talk about. We appreciate you guys checking out Soccer Morning every day at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Make sure you give this version of the show out on iTunes a rating and a review. Uh, just go over there, say great show, terrible show, whatever you want to say, whatever your opinion is. Go over there, give it a rating and a review. I don't even know how many we have, but you know we need to push that. Uh, you can get a Soccer Morning mug at backheel.com slash store. That's, uh, they look like this thing if you're watching the video. It's a lovely logo right there and a very uh, very nice mug. And you can get a T-shirt for Soccer Morning at 3nilfc. That's the number 3nilfc.com. And a fantastic line of soccer-themed gear over at 3nil. Check that out as well. Uh, again... Thanks to John Tannewald. Thanks to Sam Kelly. Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to Al. Thanks to Clint Dempsey for giving us something to talk about. We'll uh, we'll see you tomorrow, guys. Later.